Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Ready? Go. All right. Well, it's good to be back, i got to say. It was four weeks I was gone. Had a really nice time in uh, Israel. Um, and uh, on Shabbat, last Shabbat, I didn't, uh, let's see, I was uh, standing in for Ralphie, and rather than try to figure out what he was doing in the book of Matthew, I did a little travelogue with pictures and whatnot, and Ward has put it up on the internet on YouTube, so you can go see, and I, it answers every question you could possibly have about my trip. So, But anyway, I'll be glad to talk about that after, after we're here. But I'm glad to be back, because I like doing this. So anyway, let me open in prayer. Father God, thank you very much for this group of people. Thank you for people that uh, value your word enough to come out and study it. And I ask that you just bless our time this evening, that you would open your word to our hearts, that we would just get a little better understanding of uh, how you operate, uh, your character, your personality, and what you expect from us. And I just thank you. It'll, it'll also show how much you love us. In Yahushua's name, amen. Um, I want to thank John for having filled in, and you got, yeah, <laughs> yeah, finished Genesis and got uh, all the way through the first two or three chapters of Exodus at, at about the same pace, yeah, no. Um, so he says that uh, essentially we're about uh, in chapter five of Exodus, so I thought we'd start and uh, review a little bit about uh Chapter 4 had some stuff in it that I wanted to make sure, and I don't know whether John talked about it or not, it's not a big deal, but uh, chapter 4 is where Moses meets God at the burning bush. And God tells him, among other things, he says, you need to go back to Egypt and lead my people uh, out. You know, you go bring my people out. And uh, I, I always have enjoyed the chapter because Moses comes up with five reasons why he's not the guy. Right? He, he, and and I, I, I have to laugh. So I just wanted to review him for a couple minutes. The first thing he says, let me go back and see if I can find him. Well, uh, one of the first things he says is, if I go back and tell all those guys, all the, all the uh, Hebrews, that uh, God has decided he's going to bring them out of Egypt, they're going to say... Um, yeah, who? Who is this guy? Who is this God that uh, that's going to bring us out? Who do you say he is? You know, who who is he? I remember the first time I read it. Um, it's verse thirteen of chapter four. Suppose I Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So. Among other things, you remember, it, he says in, here in the book of Exodus that uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know God's name. 
They just know him as Elohim Sevaot, God Almighty, or El Shaddai, but they didn't know him as the personal name. And I've, I often pondered, so why was that Moses' first complaint, or first question? Who do I say sent me, like you just said? And what I finally concluded, and you guys can argue with this, and I'd be happy if you do, but it was that all the gods in Egypt had names, and they all had specific characteristics. They all had, you know, if you will, I'll call them mascots. They had idols, you know, they had the god of this and the god of that, and they all looked, you know, the Horus with the falcon head and all this different kind of stuff, and they all had, all had names. But the god, the Hebrews used to be kind of, you know, the look down on all those poor people. Well, number one, they only have one God. Number two, they don't even know what his name is. So can't be much. So that, I think that was part of the reason why he asked that. Um, and then that's where we get the, the famous thing where God says, I am who I am. Some people say that's better translated as I will be who I will be. So anyway, then he goes on and he says, um, what if they don't believe me in chapter four? He says, Moses says to God, what if they don't believe me? So he shows him how to throw his stick on the ground and it turns into a snake and how to put his hand in his cloak and it comes out leprous. And those are, you know, kind of cool tricks, if you will. And so he says, show them that and then they'll believe you. And so each in tongue. And you can almost sense God getting a little bit, you know, irritated with this whole line of reasoning. He says, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I? Now go, and I'll help you speak and teach you what to say. So I, you can kind of feel him getting a little bit testy. And then finally in verse 13, this is my favorite one. But Moses said, oh, Lord, please send somebody else. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's doing. He's, he spent all the uh, chapter here making excuses why he doesn't want to do this. And finally he says, can't you just send somebody else? And I think that's really revealing of Moses, at least at this time, of where he was in his character development in his life. He was, you know, he'd spent 40 years out there wandering around in the desert tending sheep because he felt like he was a wanted man in Egypt and they'd, you know, string him up as soon as he went back home. So, uh, you know, he's, he's basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm done with that, God. Can't, go, can't you send somebody else? And God, it says in verse 14, he says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. <laughs> but he says, he says, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. <laughs> so he basically says, hi, Margaret. He basically says, uh, okay, okay, fine. I'll give you the fact that you're not a good speaker. How about if I get your brother Aaron to do it? But he basically says, you're going to do this. <laughs> you know, you don't get to back out. I just thought that was an interesting chapter. So then Moses leaves. You know, he goes and tells his father-in-law all about what happens. And he heads out and he takes with him Zipporah and his two sons. And they have this interesting experience over in chapter 24 of verse 4, 24 and 25, where um, they were spending the night on the way. And um, it's a strange thing. It talks about the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so the, she said, so the Lord let him alone at that time. She said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now, I bet you guys had quite a discussion about that. Did you? Did anybody, does anybody have any idea? Can you tell me what you think that means or how that went about? 
him about what was going on there? Yeah. Well, my take was, first of all, I connected it to the fact that he's going to, he will wipe out all the firstborn of Egypt, which That's is the 10th plague. Mm-hmm. And I think it even mentions it in the previous verse, the very first verse, verse 22. Yep. Thus saith Yahweh, Israel's my, my son, even my firstborn. Mm-hmm. So, I'm looking at this from a legal trust point of view. Who's in control? If you mm-hmm. have to, whoever the, has the office of the firstborn has control over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the other thing too is Yahweh has to be consistent. He's not a respecter of persons. He can't apply the law to the Egyptians, what he's going to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and whoever's not going to honor the, putting the, the covenant of the blood over the, over the doorpost, I'm going to be consistent. If you're not, if the guy I'm sending to, to send this message, this most important message, isn't going to follow this law. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not good. Yeah. That's, that's not right. And yeah. I, and I, I think Margaret took a little, kind of took the Zipporah's point of view uh, that mm-hmm. she was doing the right thing. But I was looking at like, she is, she's not in, she doesn't, what is this Hebrew God? And what is this stuff about cutting off, you know, this, do this circumcision? What is all that stuff? Mm-hmm. And she's a reluctant yeah. person to, to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there, that's the, con, I, I look to me as like, there's the conflict and the, of the different law forms of who are we going to follow? Mm-hmm. That's how I took that. Okay. Well, that's fine. I think there's also a, the, this is something maybe Mark might want to look up. The, uh, the word for circumcision is, is in a plural sense, like circumcisions. Hmm. What well, so, could be? Oh, go ahead. Well, I don't know. It could have been both sons. Uh, it, it could, could have been, been Moses sons. and. I'm assuming Moses was already uh, circumcised. I, I, I assume that too, but I don't know. Okay, well, all of that, is, that fits. But, but you said one thing that I think is kind of important is there's a conflict here. And it would appear, I think, I think this is probably pretty, pretty safe. Would appear that uh, Moses and his wife had uh, a difference of opinion about this, and it may even be that it's come up more than once. Uh, and obviously, Moses was in favor of circumcision because he knew how God felt about it. He knew how important it was to the covenant with Abraham. But it's not at all clear that Zipporah was on board with it. A number, I mean, Zipporah didn't know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was before. She met Moses, you know, so she's kind of like, I don't know, as you said, I'm not sure about all of this. To say nothing about the fact that the whole thing about circumcision is really a little weird. I mean, you know, it seems, to call it barbaric is not a a far stretch, because it's like, why would anybody do this, you know? So it it is a little strange, and I could see her having a hard time with it. Um, Is there any other thoughts, or did you guys, yeah, Mike? Who was going to be killed, Moses or the son? Well, that's interesting because uh, the way the thing gets translated in most versions, certainly in mine, the, whenever they stick the word Moses in there, they put little brackets around it to indicate that it really wasn't in there. What was in there was the pronoun, him. 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 It says, on the way, the Lord met him and was about to kill him. It doesn't really say who the him was. So it could be the son. Uh, in either case... One of them was being, uh, let me put it this way, threatened with death unless this was carried out. And the way I said it, it says, uh, she she touched Moses, and again in brackets, she touched his uh, feet with the foreskin and basically said, 
surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. In my mind, the way that plays out is she, you know, threw it at his feet and kind of like, you turkey, here you are. You know, it's like she, she didn't want to do this, but she, he prevailed and she did it. Uh, but she wasn't happy with it. Yeah. And uh, before the burning bush, would we say, you said, Moses said, Moses knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But my question is, did he know him before the burning bush? Well, uh, that's a very good question. I think it's safe to say that the burning bush changed his viewpoint significantly. Because I think Moses knew who he was. I mean, would you? Yeah, right. He knew who he was even when he was in Egypt, right? Because he was out trying to, to save his people on his own. But Obviously, he screwed that up, so he finds himself kind of on the run out here in the middle of the desert, and, uh, and for 40 years, mind you, he's out there. Uh, so, again, I put myself in his shoes, and I think, well, he says, I must have missed that. You know, I, I, evidently, I didn't know what was going on there. And, again, there's nothing that says this, but in my mind, I think he was basically on his own that time, kind of thinking, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm putting that on the back burner until I can figure out what God really wants. And the burning bush basically turned that all around. And all of a sudden he said, oh, okay, now I get it. Um, and, and, you know, it said whenever he, uh, that night when he went back and talked to his father-in-law, they spent, it said something about they spent a long time talking, well, verse 18, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt, see if any of them are still alive. Well, maybe I missed that. But anyway, I thought I got the impression that basically he spent a long time with Jethro uh, talking about what had happened to him out there with the burning bush. So go ahead. An amazing correlation with the burning bush is it was actually a thorn bush. Mm -hmm. So he was speaking to Moses through that burning thorn bush that wasn't consumed. Mm -hmm. And then here later we have Mashiach on yep. the cross with the crown of thorns speaking people that is a that's a good similarity i love i love stuff like that yeah mike oh another question yeah uh the midianites they were descended from abraham right yep okay did didn't uh was jethro a he was priest? A he was a priest of midian priest of midian mm -hmm. so he probably knew the God, the of God of Abraham. Well, yeah, so you know, I'm wondering why his daughter Zipporah wouldn't have known. Well, to me, again, this is just me, but the way I answer that question is, um, as a actually, he was he was a son of Abraham through Abraham's second wife Keturah. Okay, uh, and so being a son of Abraham, he's bound to have heard, have learned about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However. It was a, you know, it was a uh, uh, polytheistic society down there, and he didn't live with Abraham. As a matter of fact, it made a special point to talk about the sons by Keturah. Abraham sent them off with money and said, "Go find, go find land and make yourself comfortable. Do something out there." So, a priest of Midian, I took to mean that Midian was the guy he, if you will, majored in. But I'm sure he was familiar with the God of Abraham. He just wasn't, you know, when we think, let's see. We inherently think of it as a monotheistic thing, and I don't think they did. And so I think he might have said, well, yeah, I remember Abraham, you know, are the God of Abraham. My, my dad used to talk about him. But I live down here in Midia now, 
and the Midianites worship whoever that God is, and that's the one, that's the one that I'm going to do because it's down here. The gods tended to be location-specific, these guys. John? Well, I, I, I challenge this monotheistic, you know. Do you? Everybody, well, look, we, we, have, we have Catholics. We have protesting Catholics. We have, you know, they all say they're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. If you told them, is it important for my, is my I'm going to have an eight-day-old son. Should I go get him circumcised? Ah, whatever. Whatever you feel like. That's what they would say, I would think. Yeah. There, there's no strong argument that it's imperative that you get him circumcised. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, this could be, we have people today who say they're the, they follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that you look at just following basic instructions of what he requires of you, and they fail. Okay. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. It could be kind of like the, the Christmas and Easter Christians, right? They, they, yeah, sure, I know, you know, I, I know him, but, you know, and if he ever matters much to me, I'll think about looking into what he wants. Yeah, that, that could just as easily be. But there is one, one of the reasons I bring it up is because um, you could make a strong case for the fact that at this event, when they were having this argument, um, after it was over the next morning, Moses went on to Egypt and he sent Zipporah and the kids back home. Uh, it doesn't say that, but I can show you if you go over, uh, we, we don't have to go there, but if you go to Exodus um, 18, in Exodus 18, it's when Moses comes back to uh, the area with all the Israelites with him, and he is reunited with Jethro, and Jethro has Moses' wife and the kids, and they, they are reunited at that point. So I think this was, was a big event in their lives, and, you know, she not only did she throw her son's foreskin at Moses' feet and say, you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she also got mad and said, I'm going home to dad. And so she took the kids and went home, and Moses went on to Egypt. So none of that is said. All of that is made up. But I've had more people. Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a known fact that that particular passage is widely debated and misunderstood, <laughs> probably by me as well as anybody else. Yeah. I, I agree with you. If you look at, if you read 18, chapter 18, it, mm-hmm. it, there's, in fact, there's not just one verse, there's a few verses yeah. that implies it. I don't know what the big, it's not that big of a deal, I guess. No. It's but it's not. kind of, I think you can make it, it's reasonable to make that argument. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason I do that is because when you read just those two verses by themselves, it's almost like, what's, what's that all about? It means almost nothing. You have to, you have to create, I shouldn't say create, you have to work to put some kind of a context in it to make, get it to make sense. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer, but, you know, one side of me says, yeah, it seems like no big deal, but then the other side of me says, well, it's there for a reason. I just haven't seen it, yeah. and I haven't oh, yeah. heard it explained so I can get it. Yeah. So You should always say that. I mean, you know, one, I, I one say, should. I say that about 90% yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's tons of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, where I run across it, and, and I read it, and I think, what on earth is that there for? And I don't know right now, but I will someday. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. Let me throw this out there since we're talking about the I don't knows. Um, I always read that part where he says, who shall I say sent him? Not so much that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know God by name. Mm-hmm. But here is a people who have been away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, for generations and generations and generations. I wouldn't go that so, many generations, but go ahead. Well, 
Okay. How many mm-hmm. generations? One or two, maybe. Okay. Well, but you can uh, count wait. the people. There aren't that many generations in there. Well. Okay. So, so I, well, okay. okay. I'll forget how many generations. Okay. But they've been away from him yeah. without experiencing him, without keeping... I'm going to say maybe, maybe not keeping charge of his covenant. Oh, no, I'm sure they it. have been falling, so, so, backsliding quite, right. quite a bit. So when they ask that question, who, to, to just say in a abstract context, oh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm, that may not even been an answer. But even mm-hmm. the Hebrewism of saying, tell them that I, I, I will be, I, you know, mm-hmm. I will be or I am, me it's still vague i mean that's not an answer either yeah so that's one of those things that i look at and say oh are they going to say oh i get it now no no they're not they're not going to get it Uh, that's fair (laughs) i tell you what you got to admit one well as we get into this a little bit more one of the things i'm going to do is and i found it really helps when we're dealing with the plagues is uh uh you know we call God, God, and we think of him as the one, the only God. Um, we don't use his name particularly. The Bible always uses the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with using the Lord, although that's not anywhere close to what yod heh gets translated as. Um, and, and there is more hoodoo hoodoo and mumbo-jumbo around the name of God than almost anything else in Scripture. You know, it's, uh, there's all kinds of, you know, lore and things about it, and how do, you, how do you pronounce it? Heck, that's half the reason we got 14 different, you know, denominations of messianics is because nobody can agree on how to say the name. So the name is important somehow. Yeah. I, I would say it's more important about what it means than how to pronounce it. Well, you know, it's kind of, well no, I mean, you, you look at like, okay, Allah, Father, uh-huh. I'm going to, kind of step over on a rabbit trail a little bit. I mean, people, in, in, in English, we say father. Well, what does that mean? Oh, well, that means dad. But in Hebrew, father, when you look at paleo-Hebrew, means a whole lot more than just dad. It's the, it's the strong person that will cover, protect the mm-hmm. tent or the house and the coverings and everything else. So mm-hmm. I think understanding what it means in Hebrew. Yeah, but, but, but yod heh doesn't mean dad. No, I, I know. I use that as an example. I'm just saying, but what his name means and the character of who he is, is prob- it's more important than whether I'm pronouncing it okay. correctly or not. Okay, so you're, you're basically... That's, again, yeah, that's, that's fine. You're proving opinion. what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm okay. not disagreeing with you. That wasn't a point to try to oh, be contentious. Darn, I was looking for Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Next time. All right. Anyway, this was all by way of review, and I'm sorry about that, but I wanted to talk about all of that just for at least a minute. So uh, at the end of verse 4, verse 29, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that Yahweh had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that Yahweh was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So they're they're excited at the end of chapter 4. Great, God's going to deliver us. So now then we can start with chapter 5, which we've already done a little bit of, but um, somebody want to read chapter 5? Um, well, let's see. I hate to go all the way. 
the first five verses of chapter five. Verse five. Yeah. Uh, and afterwards, Mos Moshe and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, "Thus says you could, Yah Yahweh or Yahuwah? Yes, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, let my people go." so that they celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, nor am, am I going to let Israel go. And they said, the, the Elohim of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness and slaughter to Yahweh our Elohim, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the sovereign of Mitzrayim said to them, Moshe and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, see, the people of the land are many now, and you make them cease from their burdens. Okay. Boy, you talk about dismissive, right? And then this, this is, again, more of the fact that... Uh, in Egyptian culture, at least, certainly in Pharaoh's mind, uh, the Hebrews were a, a poor, impoverished kind of a race of people that didn't even have a God that was worth knowing, and they didn't even know his name. So I'll, I'll say that. Anyway, um, and basically, Pharaoh being Pharaoh, says, why are you bothering me with this trivia? Shut up and get back to work. Is that a fair paraphrase? Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else anybody thinks about? Let's move on. Um, uh, so starting in verse 6, I'd like to read, we can read 6 through verse 21. So that's... Oh, I have a question too. Uh, yes. Do we know like how much time was between like the beginning and the when they actually did go... Uh, you mean from, from now to when they actually left yeah. Egypt? Well, we don't exactly, but um, I think we, we, you should remember that question because I think whenever we finally get to them leaving, we can kind of make some fair estimates. Oh, but it wasn't a long time. It wasn't like years. Right. Yeah. Because they're coming up on Passover, although I don't know, I guess they, did they celebrate Passover before this? No. Right? No. No, this, this was the original. So maybe that's the festival that they're going to celebrate. Well, I think so, yeah. Well, no, I think uh, they, <laughs> they didn't have their, they, let's see. Wow. Let me see what John's going to say first. I, th I don't know who brought it up last week. It might have been Canada. I don't, I, I don't remember. In, in verse 5 it says, And ye, uh, behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. Maybe I brought it up. I don't know. <laughs> the word there is, Vahishbatim, which is Shabbat. So someone suggested that they were starting the to honor Shabbat again, hmm. and that didn't. And the Pharaoh didn't appreciate that because that's it, that's the word there. Vahish Shabbatim is how it's Shabbatim. Okay, it could be. It could be. Yeah, I guess the the my thought on this is that although the uh, the details of the of the law hadn't been given yet. Uh, God had clearly explained uh, much of it, if not all of it, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they had passed it down. 
And because they knew about sacrifices and they knew, I don't know, it's debatable whether they knew about the Shabbat, but they probably did. I mean, you know, don't know. I didn't really make the point. If they're doing the Shabbat, is it possible that they're doing the high Sabbath as well? That was kind of a yeah, conclusion. It could be. Although, you got to admit, it doesn't make a lot of sense to be celebrating Passover if it hasn't been defined yet. But I don't know. I don't know. So, we'll move along. You can go ahead and continue reading since you didn't get to read as much as I thought you should. <laughs> uh, 26? To 21, through chapter 21, 21 or verse 21. <clears throat> And the same day, Pharaoh commanded the slave drivers of the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and lay on them the required amount of bricks which they made before. Do not diminish it, for they are idle. That is why they cry out, saying, Let us go and slaughter to our Elohim. Let more work be laid on the men so that they labor in it and not pay attention to words of falsehood. And the slave drivers of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus said Pharaoh, I do not give you straw. Go, take straw for yourselves wherever you find it, for your work shall not be diminished. And the people were scattered in all the land of Mitzrayim to gather stubble for straw. And the slave drivers were hurrying them on, saying, Fulfill your actions, your daily matters, and when there was straw. Also the foremen of the children of Israel, who Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over them, were struck and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your law in making bricks both yesterday and today as before? And the foremen of the children of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you treat your servants this way? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make bricks, and see your servants are struck, but your own people are at fault. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and slaughter to, to Yahuwah. <clears throat> so, so now, go, work, and straw is not given to you, but deliver the amount of bricks. And the foremen of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you are not to diminish your daily amount of bricks. And when they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moshe and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let Yahuwah look on you and judge, because you have made us loathsome in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to give a sword in their hand to kill us. This is, I, I love this. I've even got a, a title for this section here. Uh, so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and say, you know, let, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And uh, Pharaoh basically says, you know, I don't know who he is. I don't know why you're doing this. You're just being lazy. Get out of my sight. And then after they leave, he says, okay, uh, go tell the Israelites that we're not giving them straw anymore. They have to find their own. But they have to produce exactly as many bricks as they did before, right? That's what he says. Uh, and so the slave drivers go out and say that. You're not getting straw anymore, but you can't reduce the number of your bricks. So naturally enough, you know, they all run around trying to get straw, but the number of bricks goes down. And so what happened? Slave drivers beat them, right? You're not meeting your quota. You're not meeting your quota. And this is the title I give this is the, uh, the plague of middle management. So we have here in uh, uh, verse 10, 
Then the slave drivers and the foreman went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you find it, but your work will not be reduced. So the people scattered all over Egypt to look for trouble. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and asked, why didn't you meet your quota today like you did yesterday? So the ones that were beaten were the Israelites. So they, the Israelites had foremen, but the Egyptians were the slave drivers. So the foremen, middle management, you know, they think to themselves, well, you know, Pharaoh's a smart guy. He's got to be pretty brainy. He's got to know that if we have to get our straw, our own straw, in addition to making the bricks, something's got to give. We can't make the same amount of bricks that we made before if we've got to spend some of our time going to get the straw. Surely if we present him with this, him being the logical and fair person that he is, he'll understand, right? So they go to him, right? So verse 15, the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, and yet we are told, make bricks, and your servants are being beaten. But the fault is not ours. The fault's your own people. You're requiring, you know, more than we can do. And Pharaoh says, <laughs> lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to Yahweh. Now get back to work. You'll not be given any straw, and you must produce the same quota of bricks. That's a... Uh, that's verse 17, 17 and 18. The thing that's funny is I, I can put myself in their position. You know, I've gone to managers and I've said, look, here's the situation. Surely you can see this. And then he comes off all upset and brings this fact in that's way out in the middle of left field, hadn't got anything to do with anything. What's the fact that, that uh, you know, Moses says we want to go off and uh, worship our God got to do with you telling me that I can't, you know, I can't have any straw for my bricks. That's, those two aren't even anything together. And, and Pharaoh being Pharaoh says, you know, quit bugging me. Go out and do what I told you to do. So anyway, I always laughed at that. Oh, oh. Well, when I look back, uh, it, it's kind of funny to me now, but or not so much <laughs> then. But this, this church I was part of, they actually, uh, you actually had to go out and meet people and invite them to your church. You know, and you had a quota that you had to meet. So you, <laughs> seriously, you, I mean, there were times you're like, you got to go out and meet 10 people a day. So, you know, you're walking around like grocery stores, like, should I talk to this guy? Should I talk to this guy? You know, <laughs> oh, man, I hate And that. if you didn't meet your quota, you know, they, they got in your face and like, well, what's wrong with you, you know? And so it's almost like, it's almost there's, like I mean, there's churches out there. This is how they treat their people. Yeah. <laughs> That's why, uh, you know, I, I think you when will, he says, uh, come out of her, yeah. that's what he means. Come out of these churches that yeah. abuse you. I think you were real wise in not mentioning what church that might have been. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think John wants to start a quota system. Yes, and that's a good idea. I'll bring it up at leadership. <laughs> I do have a question, though. On, on verse 9, this one stuck out on me. Stuck out to me. Uh, let there more, this is Pharaoh talking, let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let not uh, regard vain words. What are the vain? Who, whose words are these? Well, they're Yahweh's words, aren't well, they? Yes. Well, either that or they're Moses' words through, 
through or Yahweh's word through Moses. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's you know yeah. that you shall make you shall. What does he say? back to the God's name? What is the 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 point of his name is you should not make it in vain. Yes. You should make it of no value. And that's he's dishonoring that. The oh, here, here. That's a very good point. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that ties back to this word up in verse 5 that is translated as rest. It's not it's not just rest. It's the Shabbat word. Yeah. What do we do on Shabbat? Do we just sit around and take long naps or watch TV? No, we sit around and study the word. Mm-hmm. His word. So... The day is his. Set apart, a, set apart the day for him. Right. Yeah. So he's, that, you know, that's what he's offended about. Yeah. It isn't just that you're not working. Who are you? To, you know, you're studying the word of this other guy. I'm, that's not a word. He's more offended by that, I'm suggesting, suggesting than he is okay. about not having as many bricks. Yeah, could be. But it's, it's <laughs> then we get to this. Re, go ahead, Margaret, got something. Is that vain, John? Is that vain the same word in the Ten Commandments about the name? Shuck here. I didn't I, I forgot my phone tonight, so <laughs> can't look it up. <laughs> oh, I don't know that. You gotta while he's looking for that, we'll go on. This last little part of chapter five is to me kind of a emotional thing. So the, as the foremen who have just basically been, you know, handed their hat and told to get out of Pharaoh's sight uh, are leaving, uh, they run across Moses and Aaron. Um, verse 20, when they left Pharaoh and they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may Yahweh look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In other words, thanks a lot, dude. You know, you told us you were going to get us released from captivity or freed from slavery, and now they he's just made it worse. And so in verse 22, uh, Moses returned to Yahweh and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I wondered if his lisp went away when he was saying that. Was he speaking clearly then? <laughs> it's it, just, it comes and goes. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the thing that's funny about that to me is that, you know, at this point, Moses has no idea what's ahead of him. You know, he doesn't a clue. All Moses knows is that God said that he would... He would bring his people out. So Moses, as far as Moses is concerned, look, God, I did what you told me to do. I went in there and I told Pharaoh, you know, let God says, let my people go. And all you're doing is you're making it harder on them. You know, you said you'd let them go. <laughs> I feel, I just think it's kind of funny because, again, the Bible's, it puts stuff in such stark, when you think about it, it's, it's the, you can feel for Moses. You can feel how he must just be totally dismayed. I mean, you know, I might even say, you know, I told you I wasn't the right guy for the job. <laughs> and here it is, I did what you told me to do, and it's just made it worse. And they're all mad at me, right? So anyway, I just think it's kind of funny. John? To answer Margaret's question yep. in Exodus 20, it's shav, or taking his name in vain. It's a different word. Okay. Then this is sheker, 
And Sheker, it's, it's only translated vain five times out of 113. It's mostly like lying, false, falsehoods. And mine says lies. Yeah. Mine says, so that's yeah. a better, yeah. better translation probably. Okay. So any other thoughts before we go to chapter 6? Okay. Does somebody want to read chapter 6, the first 12 verses? Mm. Mm. So, uh, come on. We need, no, no, you don't have to. We need uh, Alfonso. Um, chapter 6. Chapter 6 down through verse 12. Um, well, you can start at verse 2, I should say. Verse no, two. no, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Start in the, start in the beginning of 6. I'm sorry. Don't, don't, don't okay. pay attention to me. Then, then Yahweh spoke unto Moses, now, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of, the land, out of his land. And Elohim spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am Yahweh. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, as El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will release you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a great stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you an Elohim, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am Yahweh. And Moses spoke so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for their cruel bondage. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and let that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before, the, before Yahweh, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me? Who, who am I of uncircumcised lips? Okay. Um, those were, you know, this is God's answer to Moses. Go ahead. I'm sorry. One thing that's really amazing to account in these passages is the seven uses of the I will, yep. which is completion. So he was Good point. driving it. Yep. Now, you're, uh, that's the, those seven occur between uh, verse 2. It's verse and, uh, 6 through 8. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. One of the things I was going to point out is in verse 2, um, it starts off, it says, God also said to Moses, I am Yahweh. And then when you get down to verse 8 and you go to the very end, it says, I am Yahweh. The scholars call that inclusio. If you ever see a passage in the Bible 
where God starts off saying, I am Yahweh, and then he says a bunch of stuff, and then he says, I am Yahweh, that's a, that sets that apart. It's something that makes that whole passage, you know, you really need to pay attention to this. John. I have here in my notes that Yahweh is mentioned 16 times between 6.2 and 7.7. Seven. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot, obviously. Well, and this is an answer to Moses saying, you know, uh, you're not doing anything. You know, I've done what you told me to do and nothing's happening. And this is God saying, I am God. And then he goes on and says what he's going to do. And it might be in a little more detail. I haven't paid a lot of attention, but he might be in a little more detail. And certainly it's, uh, it's pretty grandiose, you know. He talks about... Uh, he goes back and he reminds them of, uh, of, the, of his forefathers and the promises that God's made to the forefathers. Um, and then he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will set you free. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your own God, your God. And then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God. So the I wills, that's it's a big deal, that passage. And I can see why it, it should kind of be brought out. Anybody else have anything to say about it in that passage? I think the importance of the name and identifying who we're talking about, when we use or when, when my Lord is used or Lord is used, it's kind of like a generic. Mm-hmm. It's not identifying that trademark. Yep. That uh, someone who has the power, yep. who can redeem, who, who gives you the breath of life, um, it could just be any Lord. It's like yep. I very, agree. very generic. And so I think that's one of the things that, uh, especially here, it's like, you know, Pharaoh says, well, who's Yahweh? Yeah, I agree. And, yeah. and that's one of the reasons um, why I say as we get further on, well, I'm always going to try to replace the Lord with mm-hmm. Yahweh. Yeah. But um, a lot of this uh-huh. is is because of the way things have... I, this is fun to kind of go back with yeah. because um, the reason our Bibles say the Lord, everywhere you see that, especially when it's all caps, that's translated 99 times mm-hmm. out of 100 from Yodhe Vav Yeah, The Hebrew Scriptures, because they they wanted to protect the name and not use it in vain or use it uh, irreverently, they use Hashem. So if you're ever listening to Hebrew or Jewish, I should say, uh, Jewish readings of the Torah, the, the word they all the time use is Hashem. Now, Hashem means the name. So again, they're using the name so that they don't have, they, they kind of cringe whenever they hear us go Yahweh because that's something that they don't think we ought to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess all of this is caused by the fact that there's so much stuff, if you will, around mm-hmm. that name. You know, we're, we need to, uh, there needs to be some kind of a compromise between not taking it lightly or using it in vain and doing what you're suggesting because the Lord is so generic. The name is so mm-hmm. generic. You know, it's, you gotta, you gotta do something to make it some, somebody mm-hmm. specific. I think, I think too, between languages, when you, when you translate something, um, you can take the identity out of something. Mm-hmm. Um, take take the big corporations now, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon. Yeah, 
Air, Airbnb. It's Airbnb everywhere. It's Amazon everywhere. It's, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, it's not. They're common. It's not like that big. <laughs> you know, it's just. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just something that. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot lost in the translation. There's too much lost in the translation. And therefore I think that's where you can just stray away because mm -hmm. Yahweh has said this and, and, and like, like it says here, I am Yahweh yeah. when it's supposed to be important. Yes. This is who I am. I gave you the breath of life. Yeah. Life, life. You're yeah. talking life, yeah. not not a chair, not a table, not gold, not silver, <laughs> life, the breath of life. So yeah. I think that's why it's important Yeah, and um, that he has the power. Anyway, I agree with you. Anyway, I, uh, thanks for pointing the I wills out. I got them all circled, and I never realized that they were as many. seven of them, as many of them, yeah. We got three comments. Wow. Right. Must have said something controversial. It. It's funny in the uh, in the King James, in verse uh, three, by the name of God Almighty, by my name. There in the King James, it says Jehovah, in all caps, mm -hmm. which is and it only does that three other times, in Psalms eighty three eighteen, Isaiah twelve two, and twenty six four. So I don't. That's kind of why did they choose that? Why there? did they choose that one? Uh, Whereas see. every other time it says, the Jehovah, Lord. let me tell you, I tell you, this is what I've read about that. Jehovah is the. Is this the A, B? It's the. It's, it's the God the, of Genesis and the God of Exodus and the God of Leviticus? No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Jehovah is the. Uh, it, given that the J is the Latinization, it's the, the Latinized letters in the tetragrammaton put to the vowel symbols in Adonai. So it's Jehovah, because it's Adonai, and yod heh vav -Heh is J-V-H. Well. <laughs> That's my, what they said. That's no, where that word came from. Uh, but, okay, I mean, Jehovah is closer to Ye Jehovah than, or Jehovah, Yeho however you want to say it, yeah. than the Lord, in all caps. Oh, absolutely. So, But they only do it once. Oh, in the King James? It, well, in, in, they do it once in the Torah, once here in Exodus, and three other times in, in the one in Psalms, and, and uh, out of the, I don't know, 5,000 times it's used. Well, in the Torah, uh, it's always yod it, but it's not translated that. It's always translated as the Lord in all caps, except for right here it says, all caps, Jehovah. Okay. I'm just curious what, did Why the translator wake up that day and decide, well, let's go with Jehovah, just to mess, mess, up, mess up the Tuesday night Hebrew class people. Yeah. There could be something to that. <laughs> um, in mine it has um, notes on portion of that, and... It's basically to give them a talking point on first mention, uh -huh. and they're completely ignoring Yahweh's first mention throughout all of the rest of those other parts. And so it's uh, basically to try and give themselves a leg to stand on with dispensation theology. Okay. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, you know that was that does. Do you have a question, Mike? I, I, I was going to say that brings up one question. I was going to ask you guys if if this is. Yeah the first time, or if Moses is the first guy to uh, 
know God's name, then how come we have God's name used all through the book of Genesis? Also in verse 3, he says, and by my name, Yahuwah, was I not known to them? So, yeah. yeah. So why, why is this all in there? So did they know him by Yahuwah? I don't know. No. I bet you have it. What, what do you think? I believe it is Genesis 2 where they have the first replacement. Yes. What's amazing is in Genesis 2 is the actual first mention of the name Yahuwah. Um, and in the, the Tetragrammaton, it's the hand's nail will be revealed twice. So he was already revealing his grace before Adam and Eve even sinned. That's a good point. But the simple answer to my question was the reason that it appears in Genesis is because Moses wrote Genesis. So Moses knew his name. And so he could use his name in the book he wrote. Uh, but what this, what this says, and is probably, well, I shouldn't, there's no reason to doubt it. it. He said, God said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew me as Elohim, or El Shaddai, right? Uh, but they did not know his name. Moses was the first person to know his name. That's what it says. What that means? Okay. Yeah. And the wording here seems like he was known by Yahweh or Yahweh. Well, but anyways, uh, I was going to say, I almost forgot. Yeah, in mainstream Christianity, this isn't even a discussion. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because, I mean, I was 60 years before I came into Torah. I never, I had heard of Yahweh or Yahweh, but. I never really gave it much thought, you yeah. know, as to how to pronounce it or is this is what you should be pronouncing. So most <laughs> so most people in, you know, mainstream Christianity, they don't even consider this point, yeah. uh, which is kind of sad, really. But another thing I was, I've thought about is, uh, well, I think the J is unique to English. Yes, well, it's unique Isn't to it? Latin as I well. I don't know if Latin used, I think they used the I sound. Or the Y sound. Well, you could be right. But they drew it as a J. And then the English kind of developed the J sound. Okay. That's my understanding. But like the the name Jesus, they say, is a, uh, what is it, transliteration of Yehoshua? Yeah. But really, wouldn't the name Joshua be a better transliteration? Absolutely. And why did they choose Jesus? Well, because it's different. Uh, so you wanted to make sure that you didn't think that I Jesus think, and Joshua well, were the I've same I've read name. this where certain people introduce that name to, you know, to draw people off the path yeah. of how to pronounce, how to truly pronounce his name. I think there's something to that. Do you know? Do you know the book? Let's see, the epistle toward the end of the Bible that's uh, past the book of Hebrews, James. Now. Who wrote that? No. It was, it was uh, Jesus' half-brother, Jacob was his name, Yaakov. Do you know why that book is named James? Why? Yeah. It's King James. That's why that guy's named James. <laughs> Isn't that absurd? 
So I, the only reason I point that out is that's kind of where we're coming from on this. Yeah, they invented the names. They do it all the time. And it's kind of a shame because it makes it that much harder for us to kind of understand what's going on. But when you, when you really look at it, what's happening, I, I think we're correct. I think we're, we're doing the work that God would have us do to have the understanding that we do. We're not 100% right. Certainly, I'm not 100% right. But I, I feel a lot better about the fact that he, he values his name, but he was willing to share it. And it's, it was Moses' responsibility, as is his ours, to use it reverently, to be careful, uh, but to not go the other way and make it so obscure that nobody can tell what we're talking about, or to make it generic so that it just is, you know, like a can of dog food or something. So, Mark. Answer to your question, it's my uh, understanding is whenever the uh, translators are translating it into English from Greek, because they didn't have the understanding of the Tanakh in the Septuagint, the Greek writing may not have had access to it or may not have understood. So whenever, as you notice, you know, everything that's, there would be a, a Y sound, they put a J there. So Iesus is the Greek that they're trying to translate in English. So everywhere where there's a E in the Greek, Iesus, they would put the J. So J, E, A, Zeus would be the reason for the J Zeus. That's my understanding. Had they looked at the Septuagint and seen wherever where Iesus had been used elsewhere in the Greek, they would have seen it would have been attributed to Joshua. And then they would have probably come about with the right name instead of Jesus. I think it was just an error of the translator going from Greek to English. But it is, isn't it true that Joshua and Jesus in Hebrew are virtually the same? Yes. Well, it's the so the, in Greek it's the exact same. They're the yeah. only two that have the name Jesus yeah. in Greek, yeah. uh, Joshua and, and Yeshua. But so if you look at the master's name, our Hebrew brothers would say Yehoshua, which is how you would say Joshua's name. However, a more some more recent discoveries, as I pointed out a few months ago, they've discovered tablets in Mesopotamia, Babylon, to be exact, that point to it being more of a Yehoshua, yeah, or Yahushua. So the the thing is, is God is revealing, going back to the, the name, Moshe in reverse is Hashem. Mm -hmm. So... <laughs> So Moshe and Hashem are the same letters in Hebrew reversed. So what's interesting is, is if you look at the the revelation of him, so they're calling him El Shaddai before, and it's just he's he's revealing a character trait of himself. So when we call upon him, we know you know we've we've known in English as Jehovah Nisi and Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah uh, Zitkanu, all these names, those are attributes of his character. So my Polly's grandpa was, they, they lived in this small city. Well, he was the mayor, the fire chief, and the grocer. <laughs> so if you were to come into town and you needed uh, the, uh, 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 the fire truck, you wouldn't call him by his mayor name. You would call him by his fire chief name. You know what I'm saying? So my one of the things I've always proposed is, I think we should call when, when we're needing salvation, we call him by his name of salvation. When we need healing, we should call him by his, 
what he's revealed as his healing name, Yahweh Rofe, okay? Rofi, whatever you want to... Uh, so if I want him as my provider, I call him by that name. If I, see what I'm saying? So he's got a character trait. If I'm needing healing, should I be calling him by salvation or should I be calling him by his healing name? Just something that's very interesting to me that I've, I've stumbled across I'm wondering if we should be calling him by the name he revealed for that attribute we should be calling upon. Mm -hmm. In redemption, they're going to be calling upon the Redeemer. For salvation, they're going to be calling on the Savior, you see. But if I need healing, I'm going to call on that name he's revealed as the healer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this is similar but a little bit different in the sense that I think when we start saying, well, okay, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know me by my name, I think we're taking that in a very literal, linear sense that's limited. And like with this character, like when Yeshua said, I have made your name known to them, he wasn't just talking about, hey, I told them your name because they forgot your name. He's talking about the qualities and the character of the persona of who he is. So I think in that same sense, Israel was going to see a completely different side of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their forefathers had never seen. That's a good point. So it's talking about the character attributes of... Yeah. So we as the northern kingdom needed to see the character of the Redeemer and Savior, and that's why we call upon him as Yahushua. Yeah. He's the, the salvation of Yodevave. Yeah. That's that's who we're calling upon. That's who we needed. Yep, that makes good sense. Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't need to be redeemed out of Egypt. That's right. So, so you know, they were essentially sovereigns compared mm -hmm. to where Israel, the children of Israel, are now in our story. Yeah, that's a good point. And and you know, it, it's that's a very good point. The the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may not have known him by the name doesn't mean that they didn't know him. Obviously, you know, so it's all of this is a you know a little touchy feely, but it makes a lot of sense, yeah. And then when we use the word from the Hebrew standpoint to know in that intimate sense, again, it, it's like you can know a name, I could know your name is Jerry and mm -hmm. see you at work every day, but I don't know you, yes, yes. I don't know Jerry, yeah. I only know your name, but I have no idea. Yeah. Jerry is. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's fun to sometimes just sit around and contemplate, you know, what the name I will be that I will be or I will be who I will be really means. I mean, because when you think about it, it's, it's a very profound thing. You can't hardly get your mind around it. <laughs> Anybody else? John has something. Well, to carry on what Paul was saying, is you say, well, I, did, I kind of know your name, but I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you were doing this, or you were impressive in this area. Wow, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a good point. I've never seen you without sandals before. I mean, and I thought I knew you. Well, it's cold out. What can I say? Yeah, yeah, right. Let's go on. <laughs> um, starting in verse 13, it looks like. Am I reading that right? I can't, can't. I forgot my glasses, too. Yeah, 13. 13 through 27. Would someone like to read 13 through 27? 
Now this, by the way, let's, let me, before you start, let me do verse 12, because this, you know, God making this big statement of what I'm, what he's going to do, and uh, uh, then verse 10, I'll say, then Yahweh said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to Yahweh, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? So one would expect an answer to that question. But if you start reading in verse 13, that's not what you get. So would someone like to read from verse 13 down through 27? And Jehovah spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These be the heads of their father's house, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Anok, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. These be the families of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, Shaul, the son of Canaanitish woman, and that Canaanitish woman. These are the families of Simeon. 16. And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations Gershon and Kolath, Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 107 years. 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, Amram and Izahar and Hebron and Uziel and the years of the life of Kohath were 133 years. And the sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi, these are the families of Levi, according to their generations. And Amram took him, uh, Jochabed, his father's sister, to wife. And she bare him Aharon and Moshe. And the years of the life of Amram were 137 years. And the sons of Izahar, Korah, and Nepheg, and Zikri. And the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Elzaphan, and Zithri. And Aaron took him, Elisheba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Naashon, to wife. And she bare him. Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, Abisaph, these are the families of the Korhites. And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him one of the daughters of Petiel to wife. She bare him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites, according to their families. Where are we going, 27? Yeah. Uh, these are they are that Aaron and Moses, to whom Jehovah said, "Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their names." These are they which spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. Uh, these are that Moses. These are that Moses and Aaron. That's kind of strange. No, right? it's, it's it's these are the same Moses and Aaron. That's okay. Yeah, the King James says, these are that Moses and Aaron. I don't know. Okay. So, 
Um, that's an interesting passage to stick there, isn't it? Okay. Now, when you look at it, you know, uh, for the first half dozen times I read through stuff like this, I'd get to something like that, and I'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you go back and kind of look at it a little bit, you can kind of figure out why it's here and, and what, what's interesting about it. First of all, there, it's, uh, this is God saying, okay, now I'm going to tell you the story. This was preamble, but now, now we're going to get to the story. This is the story. And he says, so who are these characters? Just so you know, uh, he starts off with, you know, where they came from. So he starts off with Reuben. Why would you start with Reuben? This is the firstborn of the, of the 12, right? So, and, his, and it lists the, saint, the, the sons of Reuben and basically says, uh, those are the clans of Reuben. We're done with Reuben, right? Because the next one, verse 15, says, the sons of Simeon were, and it lists the sons of Simeon, even, even the one that married a Canaanite woman. And it says, these are the clans of Simeon. Simeon's done. Okay? So then that's the first son, the second son. So the third son, you get to, uh, these are the sons of Levi, according to their records. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And it says, Levi lived 137 years. You don't get that information about the others. Not only that, I'm not sure exactly why it's there. But the point is, is that's Levi. But then rather than going to the next one, which was who? Judah. They don't even talk about Judah. They instead go, well, the sons of Gershon by clans were Libni and Shami, and the sons of Kohath were Amram, Itzar, Hebron, Uziel, and Kohath lived 133 years. And then the sons of Merari were Mahali and Mushi. So it breaks down, right? It goes, it goes Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then here's Levi's kids. Okay? Now it goes a little farther. It says, these were the clans according to the, the clans of Levi, according to their records. And then it goes down and says, okay, here's old Amram. Amram married his father's sister, Jochebed, and they had Aaron and Moses. And Amram lived 137 years. So what he's doing is he's traveling down the family tree till you get to the characters that this story is going to talk about. So here's Aaron and Moses. And then it goes on and gives us a little bit more. It says, of the sons of Itzhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. Now, Itzhar was, who was he? He was uh, one, of the, is one of the sons of Kohath. So Itzhar would be called a Kohathite, right? A Kohathite. And Korah, we don't know yet because we're not there, but Korah is an important player later on in the stories, right? And then he goes on, he talks about the sons of Uziel, and then he talks about the Aaron married Aaron, you know, what he's doing is he's putting these characters together and telling you where they came from and where they fit in the family tree. So it's background material, plain and simple. What do you think? Yeah. So why do the Levites get all this press? Ah, well. What, the, who's Moses? He's a Levite. Ah, I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, you're Maybe. just saying. Yeah. That's the whole point. Well, the, the main characters are uh, Levi, or I'm sorry, Moses and Aaron, and that's who this is about. Right. Yeah. And, and they become an even bigger deal uh, as a result of the, uh, the golden calf. Yeah, of events that are yet to come. Right. They become an even bigger but, deal. 
Here's the one I want to talk about. Good. Exodus 6.20. Okay. Moshe was both the third and the fourth generation of Jacob and Israel. And Abram, Amram took him, Jochebed, his father's sister, to wife. Therefore Levi was both Moshe's maternal Therefore, Levi was both Moshe's maternal grandfather and paternal great-grandfather because Moshe's father, Amram, married his aunt, Jochebed, Moshe's mother. Yes. Now, I don't think there's, I brought this up before, but I don't think there's anywhere else in Scripture where it talks about this particular thing. And it's interesting because in Exodus chapter 20, it says, I will curse you to the third or the fourth generation, He's telling it to Moses, who literally is the third and the fourth generation from, from Jacob. That's literally. Yeah. Depending on what tree, you know. Yeah, yeah. he is the third and the fourth. Exactly. Yeah. Depending on what... Uh, so that ties those two things together somehow, huh? Well, I just speculate even more, Okay. right? What we talk about, there's a, a lot of people in the Hebrew roots, or just a lot of people in Revelations like to talk about Jacob's trouble. And they try to blame it on this guy and that guy and everybody else. Uh-huh. And the guy who's in charge, who's in trouble for Jacob, is Jacob. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look in the mirror, Jacob. It's you. You yeah. caused your own trouble. Yeah. What was the cause of that? That goes back to his dealings with Esau. Yeah. Which I think he didn't. He stole his his due process, an important legal concept that he ignored. Anyway, so that curse went clear down to Exodus chapter twenty. Where it's no longer it's it's the curse is now it's done. This is done. This, this is done. Right. This is the end of that curse. So it isn't okay. It could be you know going forward, people will say, well, I you know my dad was a was a drunk or whatever, and so that's why I have these problems, uh, and as I'm I'm dealing with these generational curses. Eh, Maybe, yeah. but in a literal sense, <laughs> this is literally the guy he's talking to when he says it is Moses. Yeah, that's interesting. So Moses is the end of the third and fourth generation. Okay, great. Okay. Anyway, that passage is, is it's kind of like if I were to draw an analogy, you know how sometimes if you go to a play, they give you a little booklet, and then when you open the booklet, after you get through all the advertising, there's usually a list of the characters, you know, it tells you this, this guy is so-and-so, and this guy's his brother, and this guy's father, and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of what this is. This is a, here's a listing of the players, and their, their position, their relative relationships to each other, so. Enough said. I think it's interesting, though. So, um, can I do one more? Yeah, go ahead. Footnote: uh, There's, you know, there's some interesting characters here. They show up later. Uh, Phineas, for example. Mm-hmm. I got footnote K. Where is that? Sixteen, fifteen, and the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, and Ohad, and uh, Jaquin and Zohar. And Shaul, the son of Canaanitish woman. Uh, then I have a footnote that says, in Numbers 25, 14, it mentions Zimri, who was the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And it was he who was slayed by Phineas, ah, according, according ah, to my footnotes. Yeah, yeah, okay. There's also an important about this Canaanitish woman, I think, I've read somewhere, that that is actually, uh, they're, they're referring to uh, Deborah, or 
Who was it, the one that got raped? Debra, Deb, De, Dania. Dina. Dina. I think that's what that is. I'm, I'd have to read a month okay. more. But. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. We'll move on. Um, I'm going to read the last two verses of chapter 6 there. Um, now, when Yahweh spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to Yahweh, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Um, and that's the same thing he said in verse 12, right? In verse 12, it says, but Moses says to Yahweh, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? He says, I speak with faltering lips. So it's kind of like they went ahead and, <laughs> I don't know, uh, we interrupt our story to bring you this, this little uh, you know, family tree thing, and now then back to the story, all right? So that, that ends chapter 6. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like what Moses is saying is, I'm not a skilled speaker, so I, I obviously didn't convince him to let, him, let, yeah. you know, let yeah. the people go, yeah. like it's going to be based on persuasive speech or not. Yeah. I, I think he, he knows it's not. But well, it I sounds think, like it's the, an excuse that he keeps going back saying, well, you know, I really don't want this job. Yeah, I was going to say, the only guy I find that's truly heroic in all the people we've come, come across so far is uh, Joseph. I mean, it's hard to identify anything Joseph did that was really, oh, that's bad. But I could see here Moses. Moses is just like everybody. I mean, I'd have been the same way. I said, oh, man, I don't want to do this. And, you know, I don't speak well. I'd come up with all kinds of reasons, you know. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. John. To what Paul was saying, you know, he's not debating with Pharaoh. And, and let's have an intellectual discussion about this. He's laying down the law. Yeah. And whether you say it with great eloquence in three-part harmony or whatever is irrelevant. <laughs> the message got sent. And, and, Look how they reacted. I mean, something happened here. It isn't like nothing happened. It would be one thing if, if Pharaoh just why does he even why does he even take him as entertain him as an, you know why does he have the audience? That's of a Pharaoh, good question. Right, That's a good question. Just the fact that he has an audience to the Pharaoh is a big deal. Yeah. So Moses is like still hanging on to this. Well, I've got this impediment thing. It's got yeah. not really relevant to the story here. Yeah, we're going to quit hearing about the impediment in a little bit, but not quite yet. <laughs> Do you think maybe Moses just thought he'd go in and speak to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would just say, okay. Yep. And, and then when he didn't do that, he just kind of got a little discouraged about yep. it. I actually do. Now, I mean, I don't know that he thought that uh, he'd go in and say that and Pharaoh would say, okay, but I think he thought he'd go in and say that and, you know, God would come down and, you know, do some lightning bolt thing or do some amazing thing, and Pharaoh would start quaking in his boots and say, okay, okay, go. I think he thought that. Yeah, yeah also, uh, to, to John, uh, I don't know if you ever watched the movie, the, is it The Ten Commandments? It's uh -huh. a really good movie, but uh, in the movie, uh, they actually had a, a prior relationship. Yes. So I don't know if they did or not. I mean, it doesn't really say, but... yeah. No, no. The movie, they had a prior relationship, so maybe that's why he was able to, you know... Gain the entrance? Yeah, because yeah. like they say, hey, Moses is back, you know, yeah. back in town and... Your half-brother or whatever, yeah. yeah. So maybe that's why he was able to uh, get an audience with uh, Pharaoh. It could be, 
That could I don't be. know, buddy. Yeah, that could be. Actually, Elohim tells him, like in a few chapters before, that he's going to go and Pharaoh's going to be stubborn and refuse. Yeah, so he, uh, God told him this was this was going to happen. He may not have laid out in exactly the detail that Moses would have appreciated, but he told him. Yeah, he said he said twice, at least twice. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I would think that the thing that was most disappointed by Moses wasn't that his reaction wasn't Pharaoh's reaction; it was the rest of the people of Israel. Yeah, they lost they lost confidence in him. Like you, you know, all you said, all you did was get us in trouble. Yeah, they lost confidence in him, and it's pretty clear that Moses didn't have much confidence in him either. Well, you know it doesn't mean? help when when the guys you're trying to lead are you know. Trying ready, to, ready yeah. to throw rocks at you. Well, it also doesn't help when you said God's going to deliver you and he hadn't done anything, which is what we're seeing so far. Right? Margaret? That, that takes us right back to, you know, Yahweh had told him, um, Israel is my son. And and um, and um, for... 23, 22 and 23 says, let my people go. And, and he told him he's going to refuse them and I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like he, he, he told, told him, him, he told him what the end was going to yes, be. Yes, he sure so, did. But yeah. you know, you can imagine, uh, much like us who are reading it and really studying it, it'd have been easy to hear that and kind of say, yeah, yeah, and just move on. I mean, there's one thing to have heard it, it's another thing to have really processed it and understood it and looked at its implications. So I, I think there's a lot of the Torah that's that way. And I think that's a really good thing to do with the prophets. When you read the prophets, you know, um, it's re- I found if you look at the context of what's going on and think about the things that were happening at the time, to say nothing of the things that were happening in the life of this guy, like Jonah is a good example, and you go, well, no wonder, you know, no wonder he felt this way. You know, no, no wonder he was depressed under a dying tree or whatever, you know. It's a, you can understand all that a lot better. Anyway, let's see. We, gotta, we can at least read some of chapter 7, and then we'll quit and come back next week. Um, so who would like to read chapter 7 through verse 13? The first 13 verses of chapter 7. Go for it. 13? Yeah. So Yahweh said to Moshe, See, I have made you an Elohim, lowercase e, to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother is your prophet. And you shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall speak to Pharaoh, and let the children of Israel go out of his land. But I am going to harden the heart of Pharaoh, and shall increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. I shall lay my hand on Mitzrayim and bring my divisions and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Mitzrayim by great judgments. And the Mitzrites shall know that I am Yahweh, that I stretch out my hand on Mitzrayim, and I shall bring the children of Israel out from among them. And Moshe and Aaron did as Yahweh commanded them, so they did. Now Moshe was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe and to Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, 
Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and throw it before Aaron, and let it become a serpent. So Moshe and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so as Yahweh commanded. And Aaron threw his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the practitioners of witchcraft, and they, the magicians of Mitzrayim, also did so with their magic. And they, each one, threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But the rod of Aaron swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart was strengthened, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had said. There's a lot in this little passage. We should talk about it for at least a couple minutes here. Um, so the beginning of, yeah, go ahead, Paul. So quick question. Why was Moses complaining about speaking to Pharaoh when he really wasn't the one that was doing the speaking? Well, because God kept saying, I want you to speak to Pharaoh. And, and, and in this case, he had to remind him, look, I've made, uh, I've made you like a god to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So he says, it's really not you that's doing this, Moses, so just hush. I, that's the impression I got. Because this is twice he's told him this, right? Yeah. Um, I have the 400 years since Abraham that... that when he says, when he gives his Moses his age here, yep. this adds up to 400 according to this table that I have. Really? Yeah, if you wanted to. 400 from where? Isaac's birth. From Isaac's birth? Yeah. 400 years later is, is right now. Yeah. And I'll be. I've never really bothered to do that, but I could believe that. Well, if you want to see well, my notes, I don't really have, I don't really go into it, but oh, it says, thus the computation that the 400 years began with the birth of Isaac in AM, AM, AM 22,048 to the Exodus in 2448 AM. AM. Was uh, 400 years per Seder Olam. Okay. You want to go look at no, no. my article? It's one, uh, myhebrewbible.com, type in the number 1003. There's, there, whenever... The that says that Amram lived 137 years and Kohath lived 133 and all this kind of stuff, that just really makes me want to go add it up. It really does make me want to go look at that. So I really, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> go ahead. The Hebrew word used for serpent in this passage is tanim, mm -hmm. which uh, means marine or land monster, <laughs> sea serpent, dragon, sea monster, um, and then so Interesting uh, with the land monster because it could potentially have been a crocodile instead of just a snake. Ah, interesting. A long, was, skinny one. Yeah. And that's part of uh, in Egyptian mythology, they used to worship the crocodiles. Sure. Had a, a crocodile deity. Sure. That's interesting. Um, the thing about that, you know, I guess I don't have too much else to the the beginning part, but when he does the little snake trick or the serpent trick. Um, this is my, I'm going to do this. The, the, uh, the Egyptian magicians were able to duplicate that trick. Now then, can anybody tell me the names of those magicians? The, the Jambres, the sons of, of Balaam. Jan that's Jambri one of them. Jambri's sons of Balaam. Janice? Janice? Okay, that's the other one. 
Now, where did you get that? Jasher. <laughs> really? Yeah. Second Timothy. Right. Second the, Timothy. The, the names Second, of those magicians. Three eight. Are in, yeah. In Second Timothy, which three, just blew me away. What are those names doing in the New Testament? <laughs> well, that's what she said. But, but. Okay. Okay, that's a good point. What that says is Jasher must have been a, uh, a resource during that time. Yeah, fair point. Good point. I like that. This is a good place to quit. Any other final comments? Pat? We'll know where to pick up when we start again. Next week will be the plagues. Um, Exodus 3.7 says that... Um, that the children of Israel were crying to Yahweh. Mm -hmm. So we were talking late before about whether or not <clears throat> the Israelites knew God. It this verifies to me that they did because they were crying to him in there. That's a good point. They clearly knew him. One can talk about the depth of her relationship, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, I forgot to point out also something. I didn't print any of these books. If anybody would like one, I'll be glad to print them, but I don't got to print them and nobody wants them because they just hang around my house. Oh, let me know. Okay. Any other comments? Margaret? I just, I just wanted to thank you for uh, presenting the, the teaching on your, um, on your trip to Israel. Oh, that was so neat. That was so neat. Brought, that was a very meaningful yeah, trip for me, and I really yeah. didn't expect that. And, and I and I just like to say, it's like I'm surprised you hadn't been to the wall. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I hadn't yeah. been on top. I had been to the wall. Oh, okay. But I had never been on top of the Temple Mount before. Oh, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yes, it is a very big area. I think we need it. <laughs> okay, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll be done. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you again for this group of people that likes to study your Torah. I'd ask that you just bless us with, uh, with a, a, a nice week this week and the ability to think on these things and to just uh, uh, ponder on your, your, uh, your greatness, your detail, just how, uh, how, how wonderful it is to know you. And thank you for your word. Uh, just keep us safe until we meet together in Shabbat. In Yahushua's name, amen. Thanks, thanks, thanks.